beautiful. Thank you uh, to everyone who is joining in. I'm Tyler Bryden. I'm very uh, excited to be joined by uh, Mariette today. I'm going to let her do the full introduction. Otherwise, I'm just going to ca cause problems here. But I'll just give a little bit of insight into what I know about Mariette. We've I don't know the exact year, but it feels like many years now uh, <laughs> since we first connected. And Maria is, she's a founder, she's a CEO. So there's a lot of connection there. And is also to me, a very inspiring person on the way that she is thinking about the world, how technology interfaces in the world and looking through a very specific lens of personalized nutrition, which I'm both extremely passionate about and also uh, willfully ignorant about. And so I'm very glad to have Mariette here today. I think lots of good things to talk about. Maybe Mariette, I'd love if you gave a quick intro to yourself and how did we arrive here or how did you arrive here today doing what you're doing? Yeah, so glad to be here. Thanks so much for the, for the invite. So yes, Mariette, uh, I'm CEO, I'm based in Portugal at the moment. My background has been mixed, but uh, history, career history that kind of fell together in the end. So I started off in nutrition and then worked in clinical nutrition, so hospital setting, and then decided that wouldn't be my career. Ended up doing an MBA at the same time and then ended up doing consulting in within nutrition. And that wasn't a time when nutrition, when technology was just about to touch in the nutrition arena, uh, and that really piqued my interest. And that's when I started consulting more and more. And so that then ended up us trying to look into how can we not only integrate technology into how healthcare is provided, but look at it, how can we actually integrate technology into what we were doing, like as a, as a business, as in consulting. And so in that way, once you start learning and doing, that's how we started then started trying out different ways of leveraging how it can work into our workflows, uh, which has brought us now to launching Tina, which is Zulu for Be Strong, and, and in 20, 2018. And now we are really, I, I would say, a strategic innovation consultancy mm -hmm. and, and platform that combines market intelligence on the one side and then consultancy services for innovation on the other side. Beautiful, beautiful summary. You said something about you had this early career moment in more of a clinical, maybe hospital environment. I'm not yes. sure. What was the, was there a revelation or a series of revelations that said, okay, this isn't quite for me? How did you arrive yes. there? Yeah. So I have a bit of a itchy personality. I, I get, I'm quite <laughs> impatient. And so I have this two year two-year life cycle where after two years, if things are not working, I, I change. And it doesn't mean that I have the next thing set up. It just means mm. I'm going to stop and then jump and then something will fall into place. So my first job was actually in food service management when I, after I graduated. And I was there for about a year and a half. And I was like, this is not for me. I have to get out of this. I, I didn't like the routine of everything so structured and you have to do everything at the right time. And every day is almost exactly the same. And I was no. So I ended up going into clinical nutrition. And as I got onto the, the hospital, the wards, it, because then you get to actually apply the knowledge that you learned. And, and I loved it. And I said, after the first month, I love it, but I know I'm going to get tired of this. Yeah. And so after, I think it was even a year and a half or two years, that's when I started doing the MBA because I knew I needed to find an exit plan out of the clinical. But I wasn't as interested in one particular area in clinical nutrition that I knew, because the usual path is you do your MSc and then you do a PhD and then you, or, the, or you go the PhD yeah. route or you go clinical route or you go become a manager. 
And none of those options were really that enticing to me. So that's why I decided that doing an MBA would make me more marketable and I could mm. actually decide what I wanted to do. So it then turned out that I did get the MBA. I would then decide that's going to be it. I'm going to become a management consultant or something. That didn't work out. And then I ended up working for a big company, combining my business knowledge and my clinical knowledge, which was great. But then after two years, I'm like, big machine. No, that's mm. not for me. <laughs> so, so I changed course again. And then I started in personalized nutrition. The market was really small. And I decided after two years, yeah, time to do a PhD while I bide my time. And that's mm. what I did whilst consulting. And by 2018, the market had exploded. And then that was it. Like, uh, So I'm, I'm generally quite impatient. And I know when to change course. I know when to do a personal pivot. And, uh, and so it served me really well. And I, I think that that's, that's been the lesson so far. And so you did this MBA, where did, so where did the, maybe just out of necessity, but the passion or just the love, or at least the willingness to explore technology come into this? Like, where did yeah. this come from? Yes. Yes. So I, I was, when I was in, in the clinical arena, then I, I was specialized in inflammatory bowel disease which is really an inflammatory bowel disease. And so it has a nutritional kind of protocol that you can incorporate. But a lot of the flare-ups were not, it wasn't clear why some people were getting flare-ups and why were some people were getting worse flare-ups than other people. And so one of the things was, is it genetics? And so that was an area that interested me. And so with genetics, you need some kind of technology to identify, mm-hmm. saying, to find out what kind of genetic variations people have inherited. That was my initial taste in, in how can you use technology? Because we were very much, if you pre- present with this symptom or this kind of blood result, then you have to give this dietary advice. That doesn't really incorporate technology so much. But now if you can identify people much earlier, before they even present, mm. now you pique my interest because now you're moving towards a more preventative approach. And so really, I felt that in clinic, what we got taught was very much treating people when they were already sick. Yeah, knowing what to do when people are already sick. But what if you could leverage technology if they are asymptomatic, like they don't show any signs uh, of symptoms? And that was what piqued my interest in technology. So it started off in this area called nutrigenetics. And then these all, all these other industries opened up and I was like, mm, okay, so technology is not just about nutrigenetics. It's also about guiding people, recommendation systems. It's all about all these different areas. And that's how it really piqued my interest. Well, I just want to say a quick note. So Kina, founder and CEO, four years, 10 months. So congrats. You made it over the two-year <laughs> two hump. You've, made, you've doubled it. Uh, <laughs> so congrats. That's. I think I might be on a similar timeline, actually, as you here. And it both feels like nothing and everything all at once. So, uh, yes. <laughs> you know, understand yeah. that. You. It's interesting you talk about, I have so many things to ask you, but about this small market. And then you went back and you said, I'm going to wait this out. I'm going to get a PhD. So what was, I guess, the market like when you assessed it as a small market? What has the also talk about this explosion? What has that transition been? And was there turning points in the market that increased the size significantly? Yeah. Yeah. So if you think about it in 2012, I looked at the market and I thought, I, I actually moved to Portugal. And I thought, what am I going to do? Like, what am I going to do? I don't speak Portuguese. I don't know anybody here. Uh, I, I just don't know what I'm going to, what can I do with my skills that I've, that I've gained over the last few years, which is around nutrition business and really my creative brain in terms of how can I 
create an opportunity here. So personalized nutrition was just coined around 2012. And I looked at the market and said, who is actually in this industry? And at that time, there were about 16 companies, 16, one, six <laughs> companies in the industry. And I was looking at them and thinking, oh, what is the gap here? What do they look like? What, are the, what do they do? And the one thing that they had in common was that they had very strong tech teams and very strong business teams, but no nutrition, no nutrition expertise. And that would be really interesting to bring in the nutrition as an external partner, rather than being employed by them, is to bring in some external nutrition and then business combined expertise to then help to shape not only the products that are being developed, but also seeing what the future may hold. So that was the starting point. And the reason why I say it's small, because it was nobody really knew what was going to happen or how it was going to expand. But because I was interested and made it known that I was interested, I was approached by other companies then in pharma and retail. And so I started doing more and more consulting. And the more and more you do and talk, the more you learn. And the, and all of a sudden, it's like the word and like, the, like it starts opening up and say, oh, there's really an opportunity here. And when I look around, nobody else is doing what I'm doing. And so that then opened up new opportunities. And so I became much more smart about how to position the opportunity of bringing in external kind of nutrition expertise, but also how you can leverage to create something new. And so while I was learning and speaking and working on projects where I actually didn't know what I was doing, nobody really knew what they were doing, but we were trying out yep. new things and new ways of doing, it was all collaborative, it was great. And then in 29, COVID happened. And so yeah. COVID all of a sudden exploded the awareness and the interest in nutrition and health for, from a consumer perspective, but also from an industry perspective, because then we had all these companies thinking, hey, there's an opportunity here in health and in immunity and in how to shop better, how to cook at home, all these so many people with dietary preferences. And so all of a sudden, there were loads of startups looking for funding, loads of people looking for expertise to a point where, yes, it exploded. And now in 2023, we have around 700 companies in the industry. So it was really looking at not only what is the market like, because I could have given up in 2012, but knowing that yeah. this is the future because it's going to be about proactive health. It's going to be about more about digital health and technology. It's going to be more about self-tracking and raising your levels of self-efficacy. So I believed in the market and it is a passion in terms of how do you combine creativity with nutrition and business. And then it just happened that nobody could have predicted COVID, but that's yeah. what happened. And that made the market explode. And that's also what's kept you mentally engaged throughout all this time. It's a sea of change constantly happening. It's exactly, uh, I don't know, maybe just to help set the ground a little bit, probably get asked this too much, but for a little bit of a maybe current definition or your definition with a pretty deep exp expertise on what personalized nutrition is. Yeah. And I'll, this is not a caveat, but I'm just curious if this is true or not. But the for us, the, the parallel in our space, maybe I'm not sure, is artificial intelligence and then AI and then generative AI, which there's been some transformation that has actually happened. But a lot of times there's like buzzwords and hype that are put on something or it's just a, a thing that was already done that's repackaged. So I don't yeah. know if you can speak to that. Is personalized nutrition, is it true innovations that are happening or is it words that are powerful to consumers so that companies like to say, I would love to hear maybe your perspective uh, on that. Yeah, no, and it's a good, it's a very good point because if you speak to different people, you get, you probably get a slightly different answer, 
But for us who come from a clinical nutrition background, we've been giving personalized advice for decades. Yeah? Yeah, yeah. So in that case, it's not new. What we didn't have, though, is technology at that point. So we had literally paper diaries, people bringing in their paper food diaries, writing down what activities they did. You give them a shopping list of what to do based on their, their blood results or their family history or whatever. And so that is what the turning point was for nutrition. So we like to call it, it's more data-driven personalized nutrition because mm. before you would sit with a client for an hour and a half, uh, get their whole family history, look at their results, look at what they like, what they don't like, do they have cultural preferences, dietary restrictions, and then create a, a personalized plan for them. Now it's different. Now you can send them a survey ahead of time and ask them, what is your family history? What are your preferences? What do you avoid? What do you include? And so that is what the change is. For me at this point, personalized nutrition is providing dietary and uh, lifestyle advice that is relevant to to the individual, but is rooted in the science. So there needs to be a scientific basis for providing that recommendation and it needs to be measurable. And that measure can be either is there an improvement in your health outcomes? Is your blood, blood markers are better? Or is a behavioral outcome? Are you actually eating better? Are you choosing better? Are you cooking better? So it's not just health as it is a hard sign, but it is also looking at the softer elements in terms of how do we help people to reach their health goals that is relevant to them. Not that we are paternal and saying, you have to do this, you have to change that. It's changed now. It's now really about a participative process. Love if maybe shared a couple examples. One of the things that I'm thinking, I've looked into this because uh, I love sugar, is like a glucose monitor. And there, yes. that went from a very sort of invasive technology that was only reserved to people going through maybe di- diabetes and things like that to now, I don't know if it's a lifestyle thing, but people are actively monitoring that, trying to understand um, their responses to themselves. Any other, that's one example that I'm thinking as sort of someone who's not any of an expert in this space, but do you have some other examples that maybe are, I guess there's two sides of this that are consumer facing or reaching. And then there's also probably some very sophisticated things going on in clinics and hospitals. Maybe if you can paint a couple examples of those, it'd be great. Yeah. To be very honest, in terms of healthcare, it's been slower in terms of adoption of digital technologies. So the most things that have happened in terms of clinical that I'm aware of is moving into electronic health records. That's been a Mm. huge step. Moving from file to going online (laughs) and then having everybody access, everybody's looking after that patient, being able to access those kind of uh, technologies. If you look at the healthcare, like radiology, that kind of cancer precision medicine, that is the high tech end, but that has not really been affected or hasn't touched the nutrition side. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. in, in the nutrition side, I would say clinical nutrition, we are very much still working in the traditional way of making sure you go through every single thing. On the consumer end, though, that's a different story. So medical nutrition and lifestyle nutrition are separate things because there's actually regulation that separates the Got two. It. Yeah, yeah. That is very important to know. So on the lifestyle side, lifestyle wellness side, there's been a huge change because if you think about it, first of all, if you had a Fitbit or a smartwatch, it would track how many steps you've done or your heart rate or calorie burn. But now 
they are starting to become actually health devices where that data can be integrated in your electronic health record. With COVID, they managed to predict like advance, the change in your temperature and things like that, your body temperature. So now these devices that were consumer and lifestyle are now moving to become a health device that actually can be acted upon. Now, on its own, it doesn't tell you that much. It was really for the kind of people who want to increase their performance or the biohackers. But what we are seeing now is that the smartwatches and the wearables are now at sleep rings are now playing and talking to the CGM. So all of a sudden, those kind of data points are now also talking to the personalized nutrition platforms where then it can actually give you exercise that much, which impacted your blood sugar that much. And so you should be eating and drinking this much. So we are now only now at this turning point where we see another shift again in terms of the integration of digital technology and health and nutrition. But we are really at the beginning because we also don't know what all of the the data means because you need AI to really interrogate that and say, okay, on a rainy day, we see you do this and then you eat this and your body responds in this way. So it's really interpreting what does it actually mean? Because everybody can have data and a dashboard and seeing, but what does it actually mean when you put all those data points together? And and not only what does it mean, what should you do about it? We don't know because Mm -hmm. we have a lot of data on sick people, but not a lot of data on healthy people. So what does it mean to look at your your data when you are healthy and to keep you like that? But we know a lot about what to do and how to medicate for sick people. And that's the difference. That's the stage that we are in. One of the trends that I've seen in my life has been, I'm a deliverer of dashboards of analytics, not unfortunately healthcare related analytics. It was mostly Google ads and advertising and now language related insights. But there's a big difference in some cases when I'm looking at that data and what it means to when I serve that to someone else. And that's just life path. The same, I'm sim- the similar example, I'm guessing in New Jersey, you're a doctor trained on all of this. You look at a chart and this makes sense and you can uh, interpret what it means. But for us as non-educated uh, in that regards, exactly. that's a very difficult thing to do. I want yeah. to share one product release that I was super interested in, that maybe I'm guessing maybe came across was the Whoopstrap, which has been around for a long time, but they actually integrated it with OpenAI's API. So that part is super intriguing to me because it's got all the data points. It's got all that. And however they did, they architected it together. So you can query your whoop strap and get responses in natural language versus just looking at a bunch of dashboards and charts. And I think from that point, anytime you can democratize data into synthesized knowledge that someone can actually understand, it's a huge leap forward. So I expect for, for, I would love to see that integration in my fitness pal. Uh, Am I very regimented and documenting in my fitness pal? No, but if I was, or I knew I could have conversations after to understand better, I think it opens up a lot of, I don't know, just like viability and excitement from using that as a personal, not sure anything else that again, you're high level, you're viewing all this, you've done an incredible job meticulously tracking new companies that are emerging, advancements in those companies. Is there anything that's really firing you up uh, right now as you look into the space and you're also predicting and projecting into the future? I I get asked that question so many times and it's not just one thing. That's the problem. Mm. Yeah, it's overwhelmed (laughs) with. (laughs) Yeah, I get so excited when I see one thing, like, like food as medicine is a huge movement and a huge trend right now. And I think 
from an accessibility point of view, Whoop is great, Aura is great, but not everybody can afford that. And that's the thing. So how can we make personalized nutrition really accessible? How can we make that real-time coach accessible to anybody who's got a question right at the time when they have that question? And that is when I really believe if we can reach that point, then I will be super happy. Then I'll say, this is the most exciting bit. But there are so many issues, not in terms of, never mind charts even, it's basic food knowledge, food literacy, nutrition mm. literacy, cooking literacy, which is re- our generation really lost that. So things that sometimes as trained professionals, we take it for granted that people know what a protein is and you know what a carb is, those kind of things. Yeah, yeah. And, and you realize I'm talking AI and, and people like there's no, wow, what was I thinking? What yeah, was I yeah. thinking? Just because I got excited about it. So I think the thing that would make me most excited is if everybody could understand how they could improve their health in the way that they understand it. If we can get that right with providing information at different in different ways, some people are more visual, some people want to text, some people want a quick email message, that would be great. And I think we have the right technologies now available to make that happen. But now we need to understand better from a behavioral science point of view is what resonates with that person? What kind of, what is the best combination? Is it video with voice? Is it picture taking with a home coach? Or what is it that we don't know? If we can get that stage, I would be super happy. But at this point, anything, <laughs> you know, food as medicine is super exciting. You know, gut health is super exciting. But that makes, oh my goodness, very exciting. <laughs> so I, I don't have one thing that excites me. I, I have to rein myself in sometimes to think, okay, now don't go too deep because otherwise you lose sight of the other thing that you should also yeah, be yeah. careful of. That's, and that's excitement of, of healthcare really, because it's always evolving. We are always learning new things and the human body is complex. Behavior is even more complex. And so I think that's why I'd I probably won't get tired of this area. <laughs> Your genuine passion for it has always shined through. And, you know, the, the part I think, uh, not to classify you, but you do seem like an early adopter. And that's both yes. fun because you get to ride that wave of excitement, but you also get to ride that disillusion of trying to explain. And it's it not really connecting. And as we, we've obviously shared and done some work together through AI and all this stuff, but you realize for a lot of people, this is um, pretty early stage still, and they might right. not be thinking it as deeply as you and you start to use terms and it doesn't make sense. Yeah. And you lose someone in a soup uh, before you even yes. get to <laughs> yeah. the, the other piece. I'm passionate about this, about personalized nutrition now, maybe just nutrition in general. I've struggled with weight my whole life. I, I don't know if you know that, that, and I don't know, do you use pounds or uh, kg in kgs you're in kgs okay so i don't know what the kgs was but i was big i i I played hockey and i did not take care of myself playing hockey even during that time the the thought was that you were supposed to just do a massive carb load before sports events like that was just common knowledge my mom would make me french toast with maple syrup and then send me into a hockey game and so there was a lot of just to me what is really sad i think was a generation many generations who grew up with not the right knowledge and sometimes knowledge that was shaped by forces with ulterior motives one of the big examples here in canada is the dairy association we built the food guide dairy lobbied to make sure that dairy was high up on requirements. And people have obviously realized that's maybe not as true as it. And then uh, now I'm just rambling. So I'll just say uh, something else that I'm just fascinated in it or have seen as challenges. So when I'm trying to correct, which is often because I work out and then I overeat and I, but I use my fitness pal, but I find any 
like in life, any friction point is, is a blocker. So with my fitness pal manually adding in every single day, I can do that for a week. And then after that I'm done. And so I wonder with the rise of these technologies, it's in some, t- sometimes a scary world, but we're moving into cameras everywhere. Like you said, recordings everywhere, taking unstructured voice recordings, turn them into, yeah. like you could basically have a voice conversation and format that data to be input into fitness power, my type automatically through just an unstructured voice note, or yeah. to me, some sort of computer vision that's recognizing what you're eating. That to me is where it needs to head for people. I think, unfortunately, to uh, adopt this on a continuous basis is just complete lack of friction. Uh, There's a camera looking at my dinner table and it measures everything that I eat and even tells me to slow down while I'm doing it kind of thing. Or there's nanobots in my blood that are measuring whatever is coming in and sending me early signals and warnings. So I guess that's the far out future. Maybe it's not that far out. I don't know if you think about that, but in general, anytime there's technology, there also seems to be a little bit of a lag between understanding and then also adoption. And I especially find that lag in healthcare because of client sensitivity or actual challenging how, uh, outcomes or anything. So I feel like I'm not building this up to ask you a question. <laughs> More just <laughs> sharing a couple of things that I was just thinking about as we were heading into this, this piece. So I guess then what are companies right now? What are they, you're, you're seeing this, what are they struggling with or really what are they trying to figure out right now? Yeah, the biggest sticking points, I would say they're two main ones. The first one is around adherence. Start with that one. So adherence really means like you've experienced it. How can we get people to keep blogging? Because if you keep logging, we can keep giving you feedback. But if you stop logging, we can't give you feedback. If you're not wearing some kind of a wearable, we have no data, which means we can't give you feedback. If you're not logging into a platform, then we can't give you feedback. And so it's how can we make the experience so good and so great that you want to keep on coming back and keep on wanting to learn about how to improve your life or whatever, however your life is changing and how your goals subsequently change as well. So that is a sticking point because nobody has quite figured it out yet. Yeah. So it's that's a, a, a real difficult one. So I would say 30-day adherence, is around 20%. So if mm, you think about yeah, it, yeah, yeah. that's tough to build a business on. So the customer acquisition cost is super high. Interesting. Um, so that is a real problem, first of all. The second problem is what we've learned over the years is that no company can do it all really well. So you need partnerships to say, you are good at image logging uh, or image recognition. So we want to use your tool, but MyFitnessPal's food database is really good. So we want to have that and we have to want to have that wearable. And so nobody can do everything really well. Uh, But if you're going to get them to play together, privacy is a huge issue because I gave you my data. I allowed you to use my data, but I didn't allow all the other five people to use my data. And so if I am going to allow you to use the data, then what are you going to give me back? If you're going to tell me just to increase my uh, spinach intake and eat more salmon, I'm not going to be happy because I'm giving you all this data. I'm completing all these surveys. You're sending me questionnaires every week. And then I get back a one-liner, two-liners. And that's where there's a lot of frustration and friction at the moment. From consumer survey so far, consumers are not happy with what what is available at the moment. But of course, 
they've evolved a lot. So my fitness pal was pretty much a tracking tool. <laughs> yeah, yep. that's what it is. But it's now one of the tools with the most comprehensive and representative databases around. And because they the UX is so easy, people tend to use it. Certainly, there are other products out there that are evidence-based that do it yeah, down yeah. to the milligram. People go back to my fitness pal. So what can we learn about companies who maybe not as scientific, but from a user-friendliness point of view, get used extensively? And that's where we need to have the tech match with the science so that we know that people can trust the solutions that come out. And so those are the yeah. kind of two biggest struggling points that we have at this stage. And even it speaks to also, we say the same thing, like discoverability or being like a market leader, at least in customers' mind. Like it seems yeah. like MyFitnessPal or whatever version of this, like for running, I think of Strava, there's these sort yeah. of not mo monopolies, but first in your head when you think about these specific yeah. pieces there. And just overall, I don't know, it just seems like such a difficult thing to set up because... For example, when I think about we're working through the same thing right now, even with our software system, I'm trying to figure out what's going on. How can we better understand users and what's, but the amount of fragmented data to actually figure out that whole cohesive picture is ridiculous. And to tie all yeah. those systems together, again, that's not a normal consumer or person who's doing that. You need developers. You need, and none of those things are, yes. they're all incompatible. So for me to feel like I have a truly cohesive data set of me that I can query and get responses from and, and understand myself seems so difficult because I didn't include the one sandwich I ate, or I'm sitting on this chair all day and I didn't have my whoop strap on or what there's these gaps that then can add not even necessary bias to the data, but just very crucial missing information for any assessment right. Uh, right. that's actually gone. So yeah, there's the and then and I've seen a similar trend in mental health where then the goal seems to be to basically try to put some sort of tracking or sensors in every part of the entire experience where then you talk about adherence being a difficult thing. I'm interested to see this sort of space develop and there will be more tools that yeah. probably do this. There's a, it, not related necessarily to personalized nutrition right now, but there's a, a tool called Rewind and it's getting a lot of both excitement and fear because it's basically recording you on your computer all day, and then you can just query and ask what you were doing that day or, but you're basically are building this digital database of yourself, but it's every single action that was on yeah. your computer. They just released a little pendant that you can now record your whole day. Oh, uh, I saw that. On yeah, the exactly. A little yeah, bit of pushback. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So again, I don't think it's always in a positive direction, yeah. but if you are trying to truly collect the data to make accurate assessments, Capturing as much as you can and capturing it accurately becomes one of the core missions. And with that, devices or some sort of sort of interrogative technology to capture that information becomes super meaningful. Now, I wanted to get a little bit of your insider perspective. You've spent a lot of time in this space. You and then you are now working with com with companies. I have a bit of understanding about this, but I would love to hear your, maybe a summary or update from you about what is a company who, are, are they in personalized nutrition all the time, or they're maybe entering it or thinking about entering it, or they're a bigger incumbent who now knows that this is an important priority in their business. What is the, the trigger that you find people reaching out to you? And then what does a relationship look like with a company who's yeah. actually interested in at least partaking or undertaking this mission in some way? It's an interesting area because of COVID, many companies would have known that personalized nutrition is an interesting area, but they sat, sat back and said, 
we'll see how this plays out. And then COVID hit and all of a sudden, consumers are reading labels, they're asking questions, hey, what is in my, what is in my food? Where did this come from? And all of a sudden we find that there's, the power has shifted to consumers demanding healthier products, demanding reformulations of their favorite brands, and now tracking the impact on their blood sugar levels, for example. And all these different things had meant that companies have had to prioritize what does this actually mean for the business? And then the realization is actually, we don't know what personalized nutrition is. We don't know how to define it. We don't know who is in the, in the is it a lifestyle brand or is it personalized nutrition? Actually, let's ask Kina. Mm. And that's where we are. So oh, it can be from any, let's say the main industries would be food industry, could be supplement industry, could be a digital health industry. It could be a ingredient company. Could be pharma, who is also looking at now their consumers not wanting only to take medication, but also in, include other lifestyle factors. Could be retailers who are looking at which apps to, to partner with to help their consumers to shop for healthier alternatives or, or mm -hmm. how to eat according to the national health guidelines, all yeah, these different yeah. things. So it can be from anywhere. But the point where they actually ask for help is that Cons they, their customers have asked for it or their brands have asked for it or they really see it as a strategic direction because they want to become health-based company or health and wellness company. So they are planning for the future because they know that in 50 years time that everybody's going to sit with their data on their phone and that if their brands or uh, portfolios don't align with mm. the health goals of the consumers, that they're going to be left behind. They're going to be out they, because consumers have the, the information in their hand and they can make the choice at the tools. And that's basically what's going to happen. I was curious, there's been this wonderful documentary on Netflix that came out, The Blue Zones, which I'm oh, sure at least, I don't I know. know. I, haven't seen. I, I guess I just feel like that's, that's what happens. We do some work in AI and anytime anything AI comes, people just send it your way. So I thought maybe you get just ambushed with anything related to nutrition. And Portugal wasn't explicitly mentioned in it, but regions in Italy with a very Mediterranean diet cut off. Yeah. And so they talked about these little areas across the world that for whatever reason, the healthiness is absolutely just basically they were measuring it by the amount of people who were over 100 and health relatively healthy over 100. And I was just wondering, what am I asking? My question is more around from your perspective, whether it is a technology or it's just a tip or a recommendation for someone who's interested in just being healthier and living a happier life. Yeah, I think there are a few things. One area that we are very interested in now is the ethics the ethics of providing recommendations. So you mentioned kind of Mediterranean diet very briefly there, mm. which is the gold standard in 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 health. Yeah. Yep. Eating the Mediterranean diet is good for your health, isn't good for your mental health, it's good for using diabetes and things like that. However, the Mediterranean diet is also a very westernized diet. Mm. And so we are sitting with the ethical uh, dilemma in that most of the kind of research that has been done in at the intersection of technology is very much North European, North American databases of population bases. So we're sitting with good research on a very small representative worldwide mm. basis. And so yeah, if you're yeah. going to take the North American or UK food databases, that's very limited, yeah? And so you're excluding Latin America, you're excluding Africa, you're excluding Asian foods. And so this has become a huge problem. 
Because if the algorithm or the AI is trained on the available research and then leading you to having a kale smoothie or following a Mediterranean diet as the gold standard in the people that have been studied, we are sitting with a problem because it's not representative. And therefore, if we truly, truly provide personalized nutrition advice, we need that representative data. We need inclusive research to train that data. And that's why I think for most of the products that we have at the moment, even though uh, a lot of it is not dangerous, so I would say increasing your fiber intake or being more physically active, that is public health guidance anyway. But as soon as you move closer towards the medical arena, that's where you need to be really careful because we don't know what that data looks like. We don't, we can't interrogate those data sets. And so the science is not really there to say this has worked in a remote section of, of Mexico or, 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 or yeah, Brazilian yeah. population. We don't have that data, although we need that data. And so for us in particular, we need to raise the alarm right now that as fast as AI is moving, the faster and desperate people are to use available data sources, which are going to be representative of those people who are of North American, North European descent, can afford wearables and aura rings and actually engage with these kind of tools. And so the digital divide and, and the levels of health equality will only increase. And that's where we really need to pay attention to right now. Oh, wow. Super intriguing. It's We've seen a parallel with this with we do some sort of automated transcription or just the understanding of audio and video and localized, unpopular, not popular from uh, the population of people. Languages are completely underrepresented or even specific dialects within languages are right. super uh, and similar to just like you said, the nutrition and diet sort of data set we've lost or we don't have access to a massive important data set in the world. So super interesting. I didn't even um, think about that, but uh, makes a lot of sense. Now we are uh, in this time, you you brought up sort of technology and AI. There are a couple ways that I've known that you've at least in your business sort of leveraged AI for some of the work that you were doing. Maybe you could talk a little bit about that or at least what you're trying to work on and accomplish. And then also just in general, like AI is this big sort of catch-all term. And a yeah. lot of it could be what people are sometimes thinking right now, which is are these generative AI models with chat GPT and all of this stuff. But then there's also massive data sets where there's algorithms being run on them to be proactive with assessments or things like that. So maybe, I don't know if you could share a little bit about just how is technology or specifically AI being used in personalized nutrition right now? I think maybe I can give a little bit about the the industry perspectives. In in terms of the industry, it's really um, trying to make sense or leveraging AI to make sense of the different data uh, sources that that are really required to provide any kind of recommendation. Mm -hmm. We would like to understand when they eat and what they eat. So for that, you would need some kind of food database. You need to also have some kind of a a log of what they are eating, um, whether they have wearables, whether they work, where they shop, uh, how physically active. So all these different things, it's very difficult for a practitioner to just make sense of hidden patterns out of if you just gave them the whole data, you know, the yeah, diet, they wouldn't yeah. be able to identify it no matter how long they looked at the data. So AI has that potential to just simplify it and give you the insight and say, hey, this is what is needed or this is what we can see. This is the scientific, pull in the scientific database and say, okay, based on the profile, the blood results of this individual, the microbiome results of this individual, the physical activity, all of a sudden you can get insight. So that's where I think it really has the potential. And also in, in, coming back to that virtual coach 
that would be the future. That would be the ideal yeah. of somebody leveraging AI and giving real-time feedback because at the moment it's much more retrospective. Yesterday, you didn't do so well because yeah, you yeah. say you ate this. But what if you can predict how somebody is going because you know their pattern, yeah? You, you know their lifestyle, you know the situation. And because eating is, is also social and cultural, which is not as straightforward as writing a document or something, yeah? It's mm. complex. And so AI has really an opportunity there to not only predict how you're going to respond, it has the ability to simplify information for you in a way that you can understand, and it can help you to increase your level of self-efficacy so you can actually prevent uh, diseases from or conditions from occurring, and you would know what to do and, and when yeah. to do it. That is the key in, in, uh, in the industry, I would say. For us, it's just opened up so many opportunities that I never in my, you know, life would have thought that it is possible. But the reason why it became a need is because companies kept on asking us the same questions. They would say, hey, what kind of companies are in the industry and what kind of companies are in this specific segment and what do they offer, that kind of thing. And then we'd go back and say, oh, yeah, they do this. And, and then eventually after six customers, you go, they keep on yeah. asking, why don't we just have an Excel spreadsheet that we can just track what's going on? And then, of course, as the market grew, we needed to have a better system to then say, hey, okay, let's... So the, the Excel spreadsheet became quite big. And then all of a sudden, we were also doing a, a newsletter on a weekly basis for the past kind of five years, but nobody would look back at a newsletter from two years ago, yeah, yeah. but the information is still relevant. And then how about we, because we know the knowledge, we know what the trends are, but what if you slap AI on top of it, you leverage AI and see what are the hidden patterns there? And then actually not, we don't want to just see the patterns. We want to see it by categories. What does it mean for biomarkers? It's completely different to what it means for how does mm. digital technology like wearables, how were they mentioned in the news and how, when did they start coming, becoming a, a bigger role uh, players in, in the industry? So it was about simplifying and, and identifying patterns in the data that we already had. But then also in terms of projects, because we do mixed methods research, so we do survey data, but then also interviews, we would get projects where we need to interview 50 people. Now, interviewing is quite easy, but making sense of the data yeah, yeah. out of 50 people becomes more complicated unless you have a structured way of doing it. And I'm not going to do 50 interviews. We have a team of people who are going to yep. do interviews. So everybody needs to have some kind of an idea that the, the themes that we want to identify are similar. And with AI... <laughs> It's so much easier. And yeah. so now, now we've moved on from just interrogating our data to now being able to identify patterns and trends and topics that are key and important to us. But now we can also use it in a way of dating our data or yeah. project data that we get because we eliminate that bias. So we tend to first analyze, thematically analyze the data that we have. These are the themes and topics that we can see coming out. We've labeled them, we type, and then we run it through AI and then mm. see if, and it matches. Or yeah, yeah. sometimes AI gets less and you go, okay, we're on the right track. We didn't miss any major things, but that helps you. I think if you only depended on AI, you have to know your data really well though. Yep. Um, is that if you only depended on AI, then you could miss it or you could miss the just the, the real essence of the yeah. real gold nuggets in the data that you can then relate to your client. But now that you do it as a double take, you not triangulate, but you validate the data point, the, the insights against each other, it really saves so much time and makes it so useful. And of course, now we've gone it 
taken it even further and even put the chat GPT on top of that. So no client is going to read through 50 transcripts. No client. Nobody's mm-hmm. got the time to do that. But marketing has a different question to R&D, to yeah. business yeah. development. They all have questions on that same data set. And so they can now just ask a question. So we've applied it in different ways. But once you start integrating it, then you see, hey, okay, maybe this is a way yeah. of using it. And this is a way of using it. And then the, like, the opportunities just open up. And so we've managed to find a way to incorporate it into our workflows that really helps us, but also helps the clients because we can deliver much faster while still staying very scientific and having that critical eye. But at the same time, it's so much better. And we're yeah. not spending time on useless tasks, really, because as soon as we know it works and it's accurate, then we are on to the next thing. So we have so many, like we we discussed, we have so many other ways that we can think AI can be leveraged, but there's no point in being so ahead um, because the customer doesn't even know how to use like the basic features. And so it's finding that balance between not trying to look too far ahead, but making sure that we help our users, our subscribers, our clients to also come along the journey with us. Because once they see it, it's, oh my goodness, I didn't know you could do that. I didn't know. Because internally, in most of the cases, nobody's used it the way we have. Yeah. And I think then speaks to your sort of openness to technology and trying new things. And I think just being uh, naturally excited to and curious to test those things. And we've had that experience. I know you've also had that experience. If you give someone, we call it the magic prompt interface, but a chat GPT, whatever it is, sometimes they don't even know what question to ask. So they just sit there with a blank question. They just like, what is this? And those are the things you don't necessarily prefer. And it's the opposite because we used to d- deliver these dashboards with all these visualizations and people like, I don't want to deal with this. This is way too much. And now we've literally gone the exact opposite. And it's just a blank screen. They say, now what do I do? So it is a this interesting time right. that we're in. I think you touched on something super interesting, which is just like knowing your data. And if you know the data, you can validate if the responses right. are accurate or not. If you don't, you could just take any answer at surface level yeah. and be satisfied with it, which there's obviously risk to that. But I, again, applaud you for, so just for context for anyone who's listened to this Kinotech, um incredible job, basically building in large language models into some of her research internal flows, and then also deliver that to a dashboard or an interface that end users can use customers of the business who are trying to learn more about personalized nutrition. Marriott and I have gone back and forth for years about trying to figure this out. And I think there are both awareness or understanding challenges right now, as you've spoken about with, and then there's also just like technical limitations as well too. And a little bit, you know, too nerdy. I've explained that to you before, but we were running into all these big character limitations problems. So then there needed to be some architected solution to get over that. But then when you ask a question, you can only pull out so much information that is relevant because then you're going to rehit that character limitation. And so you're relying on a machine to properly classify and understand what is the most relevant information to then surface at this. And so I think all of these things are only going to get better. I think generally technology starts in the worst stage. And I think you are ahead of the curve and I congratulate you and I'll congratulate you and also apologies. uh, We would speak here, we sat in the darkness for years, just I would talk to anyone, their eyes would just gloss over and it was just awful. And finally, we the hit, the explosion happened for us in September, 2022, which was crazily catalyzed by a release of ChatGPT by OpenAI. And we'd already seen some trends, but it was just a, a monumental uh, explosion of understanding and people's interest. And 
I think there has been some that expectation curve. Like there's, I don't know if you've seen the, like the technology, it's like, there's like the trough of disillusionment when people figure out it's not the perfect magic solution for everything, but with a little bit of massaging and also understanding of how the systems work, it's pretty damn good. It's, it's delivering on at least some of the value proposition that was first shared. We have been going for quite a while. You've shared some incredible insights. I was I got some things to think about here. Is there anything else that you want to share uh, or talk about uh, while we're here today? No, I think I think for the listeners probably, I think a key takeaway or learning for us is definitely don't let it scare you. <laughs> don't let, so I'm not a techie. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I don't have an AI background. I have a nutrition background. And so I think, you don't have to have a PhD in AI to, to see how it can work for you, but you're not going to learn by reading blogs and yeah. listening to podcasts. You have to see how it applies to you and start learning. It's the only way. I definitely see that. And we have a lot of resistance, especially in the industry also, because of any kind of technology. There's some just, just it's too risky. And I think that in itself, especially when it comes to health, is a very dangerous attitude to have because things will change. And there's only, you can only resist to, to, to such a point where actually uh, you, you are now behind and the consumers are going to know more than you. And yeah, so yeah. there needs to be a, a balance and you have to have that learning mindset to say, you're just going to do one thing at a time or take a little step towards learning and, and, and trying it out. And there's so many We've used AI in so many ways now, from project planning to mapping, creating content. There's so many different areas that it doesn't have to be one huge project that now you have to take on and then see how you can leverage it. And I think that is always the key message to take away. Yeah. And just one other takeaway that I think you've done an incredible job at is building this data set. And whether that's you're working with a, a team and you've got a bunch of interviews, uh, or it's these newsletters and all this documentation that you've you track down and, and populated throughout the year, that then becomes this sort of proprietary data set that when you interact with it, you're maybe delivering insights that people aren't getting because it's just not available and every, everything that you've configured there. If people watch this and they were like, I want to get in touch with Mariette because, and you're a lovely person. So I don't see why that's, that wouldn't happen. Uh, where can they find you? What's the best way to, to reach out to you? Yeah, the best way is either contact me at kina.tech. So if you visit the the website, you can contact me there. Or you can also follow me on LinkedIn under Mariette Abrahams or Kina. And yeah, I am more than happy to answer questions. I will share those links uh, for anyone who's curious. I won't make you try to spell names and do all these URL structures. Look out for that below. And thank you to everyone who checked this video or audio out. Marriott is a wonderful person. I've learned very much from her throughout the years. And so I'm uh, honored to get to spend some time with her today. Thank you so much. Thanks.